There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France. Which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi. It's more popular than being French. See you in there. Tonight on The Readout. Anytime documents are mishandled, top secret documents, it needs to be taken seriously. That's something Republicans and Democrats uh, believe, although Republicans have only believed it since Monday. And of course... Late night's Jimmy Kimmel nailing it this week as the very same Republicans who said that Trump's classified documents were nothing more than a bookkeeping matter are now going ballistic over the Biden documents. Also tonight, they can't send Trump Tower to Rikers Island, but the Trump Organization was sentenced today for felony tax fraud. Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg joins me. Plus, he needed help and was killed. Those are the words of Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors on the death of her cousin, Keenan Anderson. Anderson went into cardiac arrest and died after being repeatedly tased by Los Angeles police. Patrice Cullors joins me tonight. But we begin in September 1941, when a federal prosecutor named William Power Maloney, on orders from the Justice Department, was investigating the infiltration of Nazis in the United States. A story that you probably never learned anything about in school. At the time, during the 1930s and 40s, there was a pretty darn massive far-right movement, literally supported by the Hitler government in Germany, that was plotting violent attacks in the U.S. to overthrow the U.S. government and install Hitler-friendly fascism here. And in some cases, they went through with actual attacks. But what Prosecutor Maloney discovered was that members of Congress, the House and the Senate, mainly Republicans, but also some Democrats, were also part of this movement, actively distributing Nazi propaganda to the American people, essentially trying to sabotage democracy from the inside out. And when Maloney started connecting the dots and pursuing this Nazi propaganda scheme, the strategy of these lawmakers was not to get out of the DOJ's crosshairs, but rather to take down the investigation and Maloney altogether. One senator, Burton Wheeler of Montana, even threatened a congressional investigation into the Justice Department's handling of Nazi sympathizers, which Rachel Maddow describes in her must-hear podcast, Ultra. Senator Burton Wheeler decided to pay a private visit to Attorney General Francis Biddle at his office inside the Justice Department. In what was described as a stormy and violent session, Senator Wheeler reportedly threatened the Attorney General that he, as a senator, would launch an investigation, not just of Maloney and the sedition case. He would launch an investigation of the entire Department of Justice from the Attorney General personally on down. Unless the Attorney General fired Maloney and took him off the case. Which he did. I mean, how did we never learn any of this in school? Well, fast forward to today, and in the first week of the 118th Congress, we saw on full display what the main priority of congressional Republicans that's easily, easily, eerily similar. That is, 
to investigate those who are investigating insurrection and to snuff out those investigations, in some cases, to hide their own complicity. Even creating this weaponization committee that would allow the party to look into any government agency that it decides is suspect is getting too close. And because history literally literally rhymes, the chairman of this weaponization committee is a member of Congress who was part of the effort to overturn the 2020 election and replace the legitimate new president with the one that lost, Donald Trump, namely Jim Jordan. Jordan is one of the leaders of the new Republican majority in the House that has spent its first week promising investigations, revenge against political adversaries, and even, get this, expunging Trump's impeachment. You literally cannot make this stuff up. And note that none of it will do a darn thing to help the American people, just literally Trump and these members of Congress themselves. Earlier today, Jordan also sent a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland launching an investigation into President Biden's misplaced classified documents and demanding all communications between the DOJ and the president. Jordan and the Republicans want you to believe that they are the true champions of protecting the country's national secrets. They're outraged, outraged by President Biden's mishandling of of classified material. So, of course, they've been totally consistent (laughs) in their reaction to both of these week's developments in the news last summer that Trump was hoarding a treasure trove of classified documents at his Florida golf resort. Right. Totally consistent. This sounds more like a bookkeeping issue than it is of a national security threat, which means it doesn't rise to the level of of justifying raiding the, the former president's home. These facts and circumstances are just absolutely outrageous. I mean, this is completely mishandling of classified information and and documentation. What I've seen that the National Archives was concerned about Trump having in his possession didn't amount to a hill of beans. This is very concerning. I mean, this is now the second location that uh, the president was in possession of classified documents. Look, what's the vice president doing with classified documents? They went down there and raided Mar-a-Lago, and I believe President Trump, I think there were maybe 14 classified documents in the 19 boxes of things they took. What they did to him is wrong. As a matter of fact, Joe Biden conceivably stole those documents. For Joe Biden to steal documents and have possession of them, this is a serious investigation. It's like they're literally each two different people. (laughs) The message from top Democrats, meanwhile, has been more consistent. For instance, when news broke about Trump's case, Senator Mark Warner, chairman of the Intelligence Committee, called for a briefing on the matter. And just this week, lo and behold, he did the same thing when news broke about President Biden. Then there are the two principals themselves, President Biden and Trump, reacting to their separate DOJ investigations yesterday. As I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. I also said we're cooperating fully and completely with the Justice Department's review. This prosecutor should resign. He's got a conflict. My prosecutor. This Jack Smith. His name is Jack Smith. He is a terrorist. He is a Trump hater. He should resign. His wife hates Trump, probably Mm -hmm. even beyond him. And his wife and his wife has a sister who openly hates like a level that you can't even believe. You can't even believe it. Joining me now is Brad Woodhouse, senior advisor to the Congressional Integrity Project and former DNC communications director and Dean Obadala, host of the eponymous Dean Obadala show on Sirius XM. My sort of stumbly um, uh, attempt to, to, to recreate what really everyone should watch on Ultra, which is this 
bizarre situation in the 1930s and 40s where there was an active like Nazi cell, but it was like millions of, of supporters of like, not, it, it was, it's wild that there was actual support and it was called America First. How fun is that? Mm-hmm. But I mean, the, the thing that is fascinating, and I want to start with you on this, uh, Brad, is that you have the same dynamic now in this Congress, right? There was a, an attempted insurrection, an attempt to overthrow an election and put in a president who had not won election. And the people in charge of now of the House, their mission is not to investigate that. They, they didn't want to investigate that. They want to investigate the people trying to investigate that. Meanwhile, they now have a fabulous football to play with, which is this set of a small number of classified documents found in uh, Biden's you know, possession uh, from when he was vice president. What do you make of these two things? And and what do you make of it? Just, I'll just ask you that, that question. Well, I, I mean, I, I mean, first of all, you know, look, you had the gr- a great setup there. I want to know who I can sue for whiplash. I mean, this is <laughs> just it, it is just beyond it, it's just beyond your comprehension that they could hold these two thoughts and and that they could say these two completely different things. I mean, joy, they live somewhere between uh, delusion and dishonesty. And that's that's all you can conclude uh, here. I mean, you showed these clips, uh, uh, you know, Comer said, uh, you know, uh, Trump's documents didn't amount to a hill of beans, but he's gone to death con one uh, on Biden's documents. And I think, look, the documents versus documents is not even where it it ends. I mean, the treatment of these uh, of these documents, we're talking about cooperation versus obstruction. We're talking about misplaced documents versus stolen documents. We're talking about voluntary disclosure and turning over versus having to have a search warrant executed. <laughs> but I think the I think the corollary between now and previous time in history you're talking about, MAGA. MAGA. Yeah. It's a cult. Yeah. It's a cult. It's a cult unto itself. It's a cult to Trump. It is a cult of election denialism. It is a cult of our way or the highway. Our politics be damned no matter what, uh, no matter what the truth is. And you have in this uh, in this house. And look, we celebrated that Democrats did better than expected in November. We have one hundred and seventy three people who are election deniers in the House of Representatives on the Republican side. That's like 73, 74 percent. So. Uh, you know, they're election denying for Trump. They're weaponizing these committees for Trump and against Biden. And like I said, I totally have whiplash over what we've seen the last few days. It is a lot of whiplash. And I mean, much like mm-hmm. the first America First movement, the second America First movement, a.k.a. MAGA, also has like millions of people who believe it. Right. I mean, it's shock- it was shocking to me just listening to see how many people were on the on Hitler's side of the United States, it's very different from the history we learned. But I mean, the thing, Dean, that I, I have to say, it is one thing for the Republicans to do it. But this whole Biden classified documents thing, it's beginning to take on a little bit of a her emails vibe for me. <laughs> Let me just show you uh, a little bit of, of, of Karine Jean-Pierre, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, getting some questions, some incoming today. Might be today or yesterday. Was the president sloppy in handling the classified material if there are multiple locations where classified documents are being found? What is the White House trying to hide? When will the White House release a log of visitors to the Wilmington House? Does the administration have any idea between the garage and the Biden pen office um, just how many people 
could have gotten their hands on this, or you know, are we to assume that the White House doesn't have an estimate? That There's they don't an have? ongoing review on this, and I would refer to the Department of, of Justice. I mean, and it's not as if it's, it's, you should ignore the story. I mean, if there's classified sure. documents found somewhere they're not supposed to be, yes, there's supposed to be an investigation. But it's starting to feel her emails to me. Your thoughts? <laughs> it's going to be that and more. Look at the GOP, the hypocrisy on this, though, Joy, like what you were talking about. Look, if the GOP didn't have hypocrisy, they wouldn't have anything, except, of course, white supremacy and fascism. But the, all they have now, their core, their core currency is hypocrisy. And that you have Marjorie Taylor Greene literally tweeted, when they did the Mar-a-Lago search, impeach Merrick Garland. Now, what is she tweeting? Nothing but Merrick Garland, impeach Joe Biden. They want to reopen Alcatraz to put Joe Biden in Alcatraz over a handful of documents. If they are vastly different, we're going to see where the facts go. To me, the question, Joy, really is, why is Donald Trump not charged with even one crime? Why is he not charged with anything? We're two years and seven days from the January 6th terrorist attack that he played an oversized role in his attempted coup. We are a long period of time from May of last year, trying to get a year and a half ago, actually, the documents back, National Archives, begging him. His own lawyer lied. And I bet I would imagine as a lawyer, Donald Trump told him, we gave all the documents to DOJ in response to subpoena. They do the search in August. They find over 100 new classified documents there, folks. They found classified documents in December last month in a storage area in Florida of Donald Trump's. To me, the miscarriage here is that Donald Trump has not been charged with even one crime for all of this joy. That's the discussion right now. Donald Trump's trial coming up. That's the key. And my, I'm very disappointed in this DOJ. I have to say, it, it, it's hard to ignore it, um, Brad. I mean, two years later, you get a special counsel in the case of the immediate past president, taking documents, boxes of them, and putting them in his bedroom and, you know, in an unsecure location, in a place that's had spies on the premises, in a place that could easily be, you don't even have to break into Mar-a-Lago. People have just walked in as long as they walk in with a celebrity. And it took two years for there to be action. And I guess as a, as a Democrat, as somebody who's a Democratic strategist, it doesn't frustrate you because it seems like when it was Hillary Clinton and she had a server at her house, which every secretary of state before her had had, it's like DEFCON 1, we've got to interrupt the whole election 11 days out. You know, DEFCON 1, we've got to go big from that, that DOJ. And then now we're talking about the vice presidential era of Biden. There again, DEFCON one within a week. There's a special counsel. It does feel like different treatment. Well, it does feel like different treatment, and and it, it's frustrating at the both sideism. I mean, I look at some of the I've read, I've read I think every story I could possibly read on the on the recent disclosure of the Biden uh, of the Biden documents, and you get to this place where they where where the reporters write in. Well, these are vastly different, and they walk through a little bit of the difference and then it goes, but, and I'm like, but what? And the, but is, well, this is, this is a real political problem for the president. Well, it wouldn't be a real political problem for the president if it's treated fairly and accurately. And these two sides are put, uh, are put next to one another. I mean, I believe yeah. this, I believe the way uh, that president Biden handled this was the textbook way uh, to, to mm -hmm. turn the documents back over once once you found them and cooperate with investigation. I believe what Donald Trump did was textbook criminal obstruction. You mean you mean don't wait for the for the FBI to knock at your door for oh. you can I mean the, I, I, Dean, I'm gonna let to execute a search warrant. 
Uh, you know, Dean, the two things that McCarthy said this week that I think are the most outrageous in this regard is that he mm-hmm. claims that kicking Democrats, Adam Schiff, um, including Adam Schiff, off of their committees and Eric Swalwell off their committees is a way to depoliticize politics because he, he <laughs> swears that that's bringing the politics down. But let me play you the other one. This is what he says he wants to do with Donald Trump's impeachment. Take a listen. When you find that the final information that the Russia document was all a lie. When you watch one went through, I understand why members would want to bring that forward. But I understand why individuals want to do it, and we'd look at it. So they're going to look at trying to erase an impeachment, which I'm not even sure you can do, just to make Trump feel better? (laughs) That's why they watch why Trump wanted him to be speaker. They want to rewrite history. The GOP is doing this in state after state with their ban on critical race theory work. They don't want to teach black history. They don't want to teach about the sins of white people who committed slavery. This is part and parcel of this. We don't we want to get rid of history that makes us uncomfortable. Kevin McCarthy's a joke here. And you mentioned Swalwell he wants to take off from committee. He wants to take Congressman Ilhan Omar off her committee as well. The only black Muslim female in Congress, and that's just part of the Donald Trump send her back message. That's just an extension of that that's demonized a black, strong Muslim woman. Where's his job to score points with the base? So it's bigotry and lies. And we call it out, Joy, not because it's going to change them. You can't shame the shameless. We call it out, I really think, for our own sanity so that we're not gaslighting ourselves. So there is a right and a wrong in this country. And we keep sticking to that path because besides that, you can't change them. It's about us. And Dean, the Muslim community knows better than anyone else that there has been weaponization of government against some communities. There sure has. Mm-hmm. But it's not sure. the conservatives who take documents and the presidents who take documents. That's not who's being demonized or people who try insurrection. Not demonized. It's just the law is just doing its thing. Uh, Brad Woodhouse and Dean Ovidala, thank you both very much. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg joins me next on the sentencing today of the Trump Organization for Felony Tax Fraud. Stay with us. Here's a question. Have you ever been prescribed a medication? Most likely, yes. Well, what about this question? Did you understand how it worked? The way your medication works in your body shouldn't be a mystery. Learn how Vivgart, Fgartigamod Alpha FCAB works by visiting vivgart.com slash MOA. That's V-Y-V-G-A-R-T dot com slash MOA. Brought to you by Argenix. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Today was sentencing day for former President Donald Trump's company. The Trump organization was hit with $1.6 million in fines for evading taxes, 
And they were, those fines were sent by a New York judge, the maximum punishment allowable under New York law. Now, although, as the New York Times points out, the financial penalty is a pittance to the company and the former president, who collected hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue each year while in office. It follows convictions last month on 17 counts of conspiracy, criminal tax fraud, and falsifying business records over 15 years. Trump and his family were not charged. The lone individual charged, former Trump Organization Chief Financial Officer Alan Weisselberg, is currently serving a five-month sentence at Rikers Island after pleading, pleading guilty to his role in the scheme. I'm joined now by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. D.A. Bragg, thank you for being here. And I wonder if, you know, we understand that there is a maximum penalty under law, and it is the $1.8 million fine that the company received. But can you understand how people look at this sentence and the sentence for Weisselberg, who admitted to everything, tried to take the blame for everything and only gets five months? Can you understand how people feel like this is two systems of justice and that the rich get away with everything? And that's the way it looks. I, I, I certainly understand that as to uh, the corporation. We've been talking with our, our, our partners in, in our state legislature in Albany about having stiffer penalties uh, so that the companies that have a lot of resources uh, can't just price this in uh, as the cost of doing business. So we've been pushing, I said earlier today, right after the sentencing, uh, that uh, this financial penalty is not sufficient and that we're working uh, to stiffen the penalties. Uh, so certainly I understand that sentiment. You know, I, I think about Al Capone, uh, you know, who the, the feds couldn't get him, you know, on the, the gangsterism and on murder and on the things that people knew he did. They ended up getting him and jailing him on, on tax evasion. And so when you think about Donald Trump, who notoriously did not seem to pay taxes for, what, 20 years or more, he doesn't get charged with the crime. Alan Weisselberg, who admits to being in charge of the scheme, hits five months in Rikers. I mean, you know, there are people who've gone to prison for years and years for having weed on them, for having small amounts of drugs. So it, it does seem like, as you said, this is this feels like an incentive for companies like Trump's to just price into the cost of doing business that you may pay a million dollars in fines and just not pay taxes. We're, we're working with our, our stakeholders and our state legislature to change that. You know, I do think it does send a powerful message, though. Uh, you know, now they're, they're, they're felony corporations, and that means that they're contracts they can't bid on. That means that banks that will not lend to them, contracts they cannot enter. So while I do think we should have stiffer penalties and we're advocating for it, I do think it is, it's, it's consequential and sends a message uh, via the marketplace. Uh, and as to Mr. Weisselberg, you know, look, we are um, looking, as you know, uh, you know, trying to apply the, the law evenly. Uh, Rikers is a place that we've had lots of, you know, concerns about across the boards for everyone going to. Uh, and so five months in Rikers on the, on the backdrop of what we've traditionally seen for a tax offense, uh, is it, it does stand out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, my, I have a I have a family member who used to be a guard at Rikers, so I know it's not it's not a place you want to be even for five minutes. There was a, there were a couple of people who resigned uh, from your office, um, and one of them is a guy named Mark Pomerantz who resigned. And I'm going to read you a little bit of what he said. He said, "As we know, as you know from our recent conversations and presentations, I believe that Donald Trump is guilty of numerous federally violations of the penal law in connection with the preparation and use of his annual statements of financial condition." What he essentially said here is that Trump um, evaded his personal taxes lied about his access to banks, the national media, to counterparties and many others, including the American people. And the question is whether or not he committed crimes. He did. 
Why was Trump never charged with a crime in New York? Yeah, our investigation is ongoing and active. Uh, we've said that since April. I've talked about this uh, this trial that happened uh, late in the fall and the sentencing today is a chapter. I ended my remarks right outside of the courtroom today saying that we're now moving on to the next chapter. Uh, this was a consequential moment. Uh, there were investigative uh, steps that we thought we could not take uh, prior to the trial. We didn't want to prejudice the trial. We didn't want to give rise to you know, mistrial motions. Uh, and so we really had to think about and be judicious about our steps. Now, with this uh, significant step uh, behind us, uh, we now move on to the next chapter in this. Let's talk about Michael Cohen for a moment, who, you know, went to jail um, for having written a check to Stormy Daniels to silence her. That check was written on behalf of Donald Trump. Is Donald Trump being investigated for being the unnamed co-conspirator in that scheme? So, you know, I, I can't get into specifics because I don't want to impair or prejudice an investigation that we may or may not be conducting in a case that we may or may not bring. But suffice it to say, uh, you know, that we, while the team that was trying the case, and I think all observers who watched it saw the professionalism and the rigor in the courtroom, while they were doing that, there was another part of the team uh, taking private steps behind closed doors, uh, in conducting this active investigation that's ongoing. Since you've now been through this experience and have people like me asking you all these questions, uh, you know, and you're there diligently doing your job, do you feel just zooming out that the the law, the state law needs to be rewritten, as you said, to relook at the criminal penalties for tax evasion, but also to ensure that the rich are treated the way regular people are treated, because there is a huge disparate sentencing uh, guideline for broke folks who you know, are, 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 are convicted of things like theft or fraud and rich folks who seem to really get a slap on the wrist. There's no doubt that our system is imperfect. This is something I've been working on uh, for 20 plus years as a civil rights lawyer, a state prosecutor and a federal prosecutor. You know, if I could go into the lab and take some pieces from the federal jurisdiction, some pieces from the state and infuse them with uh, some of the equal justice work I've done as a civil rights lawyer, uh, I would I would address that and, and have that perfect system. We don't have that. We're operating under the current law uh, and the constraints of the current law, but always mindful. I mean, you mentioned uh, you have a loved one who was a guard at Rikers. I've had a family member who's been at Rikers. Uh, I'm very, very familiar with the inequities of our system, you know, personally. So uh, it is something that as Manhattan District Attorney is never far from mine. Well, I, I will say uh, thank you for at least applying some accountability to Donald Trump, uh, at least through his, to his through his corporation. It's something. It's more than he's ever had to deal with ever. So Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, congratulations on that. And thank you. Still ahead, Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors joins me to talk about her cousin Keenan's tasing death at the hands of the LAPD. We'll be right back. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. 
NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Applications subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. The Black Lives Matter movement was founded by three women over the issues of police brutality, systemic racism, and violence inflicted on black communities by the state and by vigilantes. A cruel irony has now emerged where one of the founders now finds herself in a position where a family member is a victim of such violence. The Los Angeles Police Department has released body cam footage showing its officers tasing Keenan Darnell Anderson on January 3rd. Police say Anderson, a teacher and father, died at a hospital after he suffered a medical emergency about four hours after he was arrested. Now, we're going to show parts of the footage now, but I want to warn you and warn our guest that it is disturbing. Get up against the wall. I'm sorry, I didn't need to. Get up against the wall. Please, I didn't need to. Get up against the wall. Get up against the wall real quick. Please. Okay, hold on a second. Please, sir, I didn't need to, sir, please. Help me, please! Help me, please! Help me, please! Please, please! Help me, please! Please, please! They're trying to draw it for me. They're trying to draw it for me. Stop it. Stop it, I'm gonna tase you. I'm gonna tase him. They're trying to kill me. They're trying to kill me. Stop it. Joining me now is Patrice Cullors, co-founder of the Black Lives Matter movement and Keenan Anderson's cousin. And I want to apologize um, for your having to see that again, Patrice. Um, and thank you for being here. Um, and I just want to, you know, just pause for a moment and give you a chance to tell us about Keenan in life um, so that we can know who he was. Um, thank you. It's, um, I will work my hardest to get through this segment. Um uh, uh, Keenan was, Keenan was a mentor. He was a teacher. He was a proud family member. We come from a very big family. Um, our grandmothers migrated from Louisiana, um, to make a better life for themselves and their children and their children's children here in Los Angeles, California. Um, we spent a lot of time uh, coming together for family picnics and family gatherings. And uh, Keenan was really proud of the movement of Black Lives Matter. And I believe the work that he did teaching young children at the 10th grade level at the school he was working at, the Digital Pioneers Academy, was part of his contribution to helping change and uh, bring um, love and care to young black kids. Um, thank you for that, because we want we want to you know know that these hashtags are people. Uh, and so I wanted you to have the opportunity to talk about him as a person. This is the statement from Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass. Um, and this is on the deaths of your cousin, but also on uh, of Oscar Sanchez and Takar Smith, two other um, young men who died um, in police custody uh, between January 2nd and January 3rd. Um, she says, I have grave concerns about the deeply disturbing tapes that were released. Full investigations are underway. I'm deeply troubled that mental health experts were not called in, even when there was a documented history of past mental health crisis. In the case of Keenan, 
what do you believe happened? And do you believe that he had a mental health crisis in underway? Um, Do you have some understanding of what happened to get it to the point where he was tased? Um, I don't know um, what happened. Uh, I, I, I can't read the minds of LAPD and I, I definitely don't know what my cousin was going through in those last um, hours of his life. But what I do know based off of watching the video with my family is that he looked scared. Yeah. He looked <clears throat> like he was in need of help and support. And in fact, that's exactly what he asked for. He asked for help. He then begged for help and then he pleaded for help. And um, for many of us uh, who have been leading this work for so long, the question here is why are we having cops show up at traffic stops? Um, Why is that the answer? Um, We need to uh, push, you know, Mayor Bass, city council members um, uh, to challenge the ways in which we're using law enforcement on a daily basis here in this city. Um, you put up a, a tribute to to Keenan on your Instagram, and the caption says Keenan was killed by LAPD. You also wrote, "My cousin was an educator and who worked with high school aged children. He was an English teacher." And in that tribute, we were showing right now. Um, you have been at this work since you co-founded the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, for your own cousin to then join the hashtags uh, that we all have memorized over over time. What, in your view, has changed, if anything? Has anything changed? And if not, what needs to change? Um, One thing that I'll say is that the people are ready for change. We've been ready for change for many years. In fact, we just lived through, just two years ago, uprisings in which communities were calling for a different relationship to law enforcement. But not much has changed policy-wise. At the local level, at the statewide level, and at the national level, what we're asking for locally, um, we're asking for um, Chief Moore to um, step down uh, or be fired. Um, We want to pull police out of traffic stops um, and other places. uh, They should not be dealing with mental health care crisis. They should not be in schools, parks, or in housing facilities. Yeah. My cousin was tased multiple times. Um, less lethal does not mean non-lethal. Uh, yeah. We need to see more of the footage, release the unedited footage of this murder. And um, we want to end qualified immunity that shields police from being accountable. Well, well we would, uh, we're going to keep following this story. Um, Patrice Cullors, um, who... Um, along with um, Opal Tometi and Alicia Garza, uh, founded Black Lives Matter. Um, Thank you, and our deepest, deepest condolences to you, and please share those with your family as well. Thank you, Patrice. And we'll be right back. Thank you, Patrice. Florida must always be a great place to raise a family. We will enact more family-friendly policies to make it easier to raise children, and we will defend our children against those who seek to rob them of their innocence. 
And that is how Florida Governor Ron DeSantis started the year, following a draconian campaign against LGBTQ rights last year, including his investigation into businesses holding drag shows that allowed children to attend, with DeSantis Get this, threatening to ask child services to investigate parents who take their kids to those shows. And he's not alone. Politicians in at least 10 states have introduced laws over the past few months seeking to ban or limit drag shows, making the absurd claim that these fun theatrical performances are sexual in nature and inappropriate for children. In just the past week, politicians in Arkansas and Arizona introduced bills that criminalize holding drag shows in public places, classifying them as adult cabaret shows. And a Nebraska bill introduced yesterday makes it a misdemeanor to knowingly bring a minor to a drag show. This crusade on the right isn't just unnecessary, offensive, and honestly kind of dumb and a waste of taxpayer resources. It's also dangerous. Last year, drag events were targeted by threats and protests every two and a half days, or 38% of the year. And joining me now is DJ Shangela Pierce, co-host and producer of HBO's We're Here, and Imara Jones, founder and CEO of Translash Media. I want to thank you both for being here, and I'm really glad to have both of you here, because I feel like this issue is a side swipe hitting drag shows that's also really trying to target the trans community as well, even though these are two, you know, related and, and you know, loving communities, but different. But I, so I want to I want to talk about both of those aspects of it. So, DJ, I do want to start with you, because it, it seems to me that the right isn't being honest, that they have a problem with drag per se. I want you guys to watch this little montage. Our friend Amy said there was a great apartment in her building. Dirt cheap, but it's a hotel for women. Okay, we made one adjustment. Now these other ladies know us as Buffy and Hildegard. I understand you're looking for a couple of girl musicians. What's the matter now? How do they walk in these things? Oh, you beast! You cab! It's getting so a girl can't travel alone without you riverboat mashes. Oh, I'm sorry, man! And DJ, it strikes me, they don't have a problem with drag when it's people who are using drag to mock the idea, right? Uh, the, to mock the idea of, 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 of trans, to mock trans people, to mock the idea of drag. But when people who are in the community, who are LGBTQ themselves do drag, that's when they have a problem with it. Yes, it looks to me that... Uh Governor DeSantis and so many of the conservatives who are targeting the drag community right now have an issue with evolving their way of thinking. They have an issue with including people who are different than themselves into the larger conversation and to our way of life. I don't think that there's a problem with drag shows and I don't think they have a problem with drag. It is about the challenge to how they feel their way of life should be. And as we continue to evolve as a society, what we're learning is it is so important to have inclusivity and visibility. It is so important to have representation of all different ways of thinking of all different people from all different walks of life. And if they didn't, you and I and Ms. Imani would not be here today. So it is so important that inclusion is something that is a part of our conversation as we go forward. 
Yeah, I mean, and you know, I, I, you know, you know, I love we're here, and I'm, I'm watching season three, and the, the Florida stuff. I res, I lived there for 14 years, so I really recognize and I understand the villages, and you know, you have this sort of dichotomy between people saying, "Don't bring drag here," and literally, like. All over you guys, as you walk through the villages, they're the people in the villages, this very conservative Central Florida community that can't leave you guys alone. They can't keep their hands off of, of the three of you because they, they they don't they're saying that they hate this thing and they have signs that are so cruel. But to your face, they're actually enjoying you. And so I, I wonder how you feel about dealing with these communities and taking this amazing show to places where they're saying that they hate it, but at the same time, I don't know. I just wonder how you feel in those kinds of situations. Well, you know, growing up in a small town in Texas, I'm originally from Paris, Texas, and I really understand and relate to um, being in a community where you don't see a lot of people like yourself around. And a lot of people enjoy drag as maybe a form of entertainment from a distance. But when it becomes, you know, something that people around them are starting to accept, it's becoming a more um, integrated into our mainstream media. They begin, become afraid. And really people's hatred a lot of times comes from fear. And that's why in our show, we're here. We go to these places where it's very conservative, these small towns, but there are still queer people there who deserve love and deserve to see and feel representation. And that's why we're in these places. And when I, when we do run into these people who would vote against us on a ballot, but at the same time, love us there in person, they're love, they're loving a lot of times the theatrics of it all, but they have to get to know us as real people. Look at me today. Yes. On, you know, when I'm about to go on tour, fully let I'll be Shangela all dialed up, but Right now, I'm DJ Pierce. I'm a grandson. Yeah. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a friend to a lot of people. And it's important that people get to know the people behind drag. And that's where we as a queer community deserve to be heard, deserve to be seen and deserve to be respected. Absolutely. And Imar, I want to bring you into this because as a trans person, I, I'm, I'm sure when you hear, I don't know, and I'll just ask you, when you hear this conversation about drag, do you feel that it is a sort of sideswipe to really attack trans people um, and sort of equate the two as if it's the two are the same? Yeah, um, thank you so much for having me. I'm such an admirer. Um, thank you. Yes, of course. <laughs> Undoubtedly. Um, Absolutely, that's the case. I mean, the fact is that the conversation that we have arrived at on trans rights is the result of a 10-year strategy by the Christian nationalist movement to get us here. Um, they put that amount of time and they put hundreds of millions of dollars poll testing these themes, focusing on what works, and then figuring out ways to road test a lot of these uh, particular bills at the state level, and then this year we'll see them nationalized. And for them, the um, focus on drag this year is just an expansion of this strategy. You know, they haven't stopped introducing the anti-trans bills this year. They've just added drag to that. And that's because to them, as you know, with Christian nationalism, anything for them that is outside of the idea of the gender binary, which for them is handed down um, through the Bible, is for them frightening. And the acceptance of people like DJ, like Chantula, that we all love, and so many others, for them is a deep threat to the idea that there is a sharp division for them that's defined and rooted in biblical teaching. And so I think that yeah. we have to understand that this is um, a serious threat and that it is both um, religious belief and a political strategy. 
Absolutely. And I will just note for those who are watching, there have been 11 states that have introduced bills targeting transgender health care just in 2023 alone. Um, and youth health care bans have a new target. They're also going after adults. And if they really want to mind the children, they should also look at the churches. The U.S. Southern Baptist churches are facing an apocalypse over sexual abuse. Um, and the Catholic Church, as we know, has had a same issue. But you don't see them doing any bills to talk about that. If you really care about children, care about all of it. Um, DJ and Imar are going to stick around to give us their picks for Who on the Week. I cannot wait. That is next. Stay right there. Okay, lovelies, guess what? We made it to the end of another week, which means it is time to play our favorite game. Ah, yes! Who won the week? Back with me are DJ Shangela Pierce and Imara Jones. Imara, you're new to the, to the fam, so I'm going to ask you first, who won the week? Well, we have to keep it light. Um, if I was going to be serious, I'd say Lula da Silva for cracking down on his Christian nationalist insurgents right away instead of waiting two years. But let's keep it light. <laughs> My favorite is M uh, Michaela J. Rodriguez, um, for who finally got her recognition and her standing ovation for making history um, as the first trans woman to win an acting award at the Golden Globes. Um, it was such a thrilling moment to see the love that she received, and there's no better actor or person to have gotten that. That is amazing. I love that, love that, love that. Okay, uh, DJ, it is your turn. Tell us who won the week. Okay, I'm going to follow suit with Amara and say some of the ladies from the Golden Globes, like Quinta Brunson, Angela Bassett, and also Miss Jennifer Coolidge, who accepted that award and said, yeah, now my neighbors are talking to me now. Oh, do you know these gays? I, I love her so much from White Lotus. It's so good. It's so good. Oh. I, I, I literally, uh, Angela brought me to tears. Uh, these are great picks. Okay, here's my pick. Here's my pick, ladies. Here's my pick. Okay, it was a big night for diversity at the Globes. I agree with that. Now, I want to shout out the Asian American winners, Kiwi Kwan and Michelle Yeoh, my girl, Michelle Yeoh, who both won Globes for their roles in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Kwan, who you might remember as Short Round from Indiana Jones or Data from The Goonies, is the first actor of Asian descent in nearly 40 years to win in his category. He quit acting because he felt like Hollywood was not welcoming to Asian actors. Well, that changed with Crazy Rich Asians, which happened to star Michelle Yeoh, his co-star and fellow winner. Thankfully, more than 30 years later, two guys thought of me. They remembered that kid. And they gave me an opportunity to try again. This is also for all the shoulders that I've stand on, all who came before me, who looks like me, and all who are going on this journey with me forward. So thank you for believing in us. Oh, that was so awesome. DJ Shangela Pierce, Imara Jones, thank you, friends. I really appreciate you both. Uh, and that is tonight's readout. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people.